Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Thank you. It's great to be here at the Improv in DC. Uh, I last stood on this stage in 2010. It's true. Where I battled Grover Norquist to be named Washington's funniest celebrity. Good for me. The loud response in D.C. is very heartening, but it does make me feel sad because (laughs) I know the the deep well of just dark clouds, book three Hunger Games life you're leading in our nation's capital. I mean, it is grim. It is grim walking down the streets in this city now. I lived, when I, I don't know if you guys know this, but when I lived here, Barack Obama was president. (laughs) Uh, I was thinking before this show began about a film uh, called The Bucket List. Uh, It starred Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. I don't remember the the details, but... They were older gentlemen. I believe one of them had some kind of an illness, and they created a list, a bucket list, a list of things to do before they died. Um, now, I have not seen the film, but I imagine, <laughs> I imagine in the end, the bucket list is the friends you make along the way. Um, I raise this only to say that on April 9th, John Bolton will be named National Security Advisor. <laughs> and... I would suggest getting out a pen and paper and making a list. I'm joking about it because I don't know what else to do. It is unspinably grim. John Bolton. Couldn't get confirmed by a Republican. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Full white mustache, 40 years of it. You know how you know you're dealing with somebody who isn't receptive to other people's opinions? The housekeeping. We are in Washington, (laughs) D.C. Fashion fashion capital of the world. How many non-Iron Brook Brothers shirts are we we looking at in this room? It's fine. You guys look great. Who am I to judge? T-shirt, $4, H&M, uh, literally $4. you know how many times somebody has to try something on before they mark it down to $4? <laughs> and these pants are from Amazon. Um, guys, the portrait mode contest has gotten an incredible response. Out of 1,000 portraits, we chose 20. Uh, there are four finalists. I believe we can show you. These are... The four that have gotten the most votes so far. The voting closes on Monday. Uh, They're fantastic. Obviously, podcasts are in audio format. But trust, based on the laughter, that the four finalists are very good. We are going to pick a winner. We're going to put some of the finalists onto merch, onto shirts. Some of these are going to look great on shirts, and the proceeds are going to go to PS Arts, which supports arts in public schools in California. (laughs) Voting ends Monday. Also, I have to keep doing this. Pod Save America and Love It or Leave It are going to Florida. I don't know why I'm hectoring you people. 
Clearwater, April 5th. Miami, April 6th. Orlando, April 8th. That's for Pod Save America. Love it or leave it. We'll, doing our, we'll be doing our one and only show on April 6th in Miami. I don't know what to What do I need to do to put Miami in the seats? I can't promise cocaine. Just buy tickets. We've got a great show. Tonight's panel includes John Dowd, Ben Carson's wife, and the other members of Danity Kane. <laughs> okay. That's ridiculous. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. None of those people are here. Okay. I'm very excited. We have a fantastic panel for you tonight for real. She's a strategist who served as press secretary for the Bernie Sanders campaign, a crooked media contributor, dear friend of the pod, icon Simone Sanders. Greetings, everyone. Greetings. He's a national correspondent for the Washington Post and a phenomenal reporter. Please welcome Wesley Lowry. Hi, Wesley. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good. I, I heard someone Sanders was going to be here, and so I, I decided to show up, and they put me on the stage. So. Good. You're just Greetings. a fan. You're just a fan. Ju- just a fan. <laughs> She's a very funny comedian who's worked on The President Show and Full Frontal with Samantha Bee. Please welcome Mitra Juhari. Thanks for having me. All right, so as I mentioned, we do have some breaking news. This came in as we were recording this late on Thursday night. National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster is resigning. He will be replaced by uh, former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton. Fred Kaplan uh, just put up a piece in Slate, uh, the title of which is uh, It's Time to Panic Now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, laugh, I guess. Uh, I would suggest people check it out because it really does run through the ways in which John Bolton is a deeply frightening figure, especially in this administration. Simone, I will start with you. Uh, Do you agree? Do you think that John Bolton getting this job, is it it a time to panic? Yes, it's frightening. He's a warmonger. So literally, though, I was on um, Jake Tapper's show at 4 p.m., and they were asking us about John Bolton visiting the White House and would this be another firing? And Jake goes, well, progressives aren't necessarily fond of, of John Bolton. And I was like, that's kind. That's a nice way to put it, Jake. But no, he is a warmonger who thinks that the war in Iraq was a good idea. He thinks that war with North Korea, it should be a first option, not the last option. He could reinstate the draft. These people are crazy. But black women tried to tell y'all. We tried. We absolutely tried. I mean, yeah, I agree, but I don't think it's time for gloating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta take small wins, okay? It's not like I was like, I disagree with these black women. I'm for this Bolton fellow and anyone who anyone who associates with him. What are you pointing that at me for? I know. I, yeah, it was. I was on the same side. I remember where the black women were, and I was on their side of the line the whole time. That was, one for you, John. We know you standing next to us. <laughs> you was with us. Solidarity, intersectionality matters. It does. It does. Uh, Wesley, um, so Marco Rubio, friend of the pod, uh, uh, he tweeted very positive words about John Bolton, and uh, Alex Perrine, reporter, noted how much the Republican Party has changed because John Bolton was somebody who had to be a recess appointment under George W. Bush because he was seen as too extreme and too difficult to get the job of UN ambassador, a job less powerful than NSA. So... What do you make of that? What do you make of the acquiescence to people like John Bolton in this administration? Sure. Well, I think it speaks to the extent to which this current administration is so abnormal to what we're used to, where people who otherwise would be marginal figures um, who couldn't get confirmed previously, the idea of someone like John Bolton being the national security advisor previously would have been like actually laughable, not like, ha-ha, we're all going to die laughing, but like in a real way, uh, people <laughs> wouldn't have taken that seriously. And But... Frankly, Marco Rubio, might, Marco Rubio might be sitting in his house going, well, at least it's not Bill O'Reilly. At least it's not, you know, like that right. That for every, almost every one of these appointments, it'd be almost always the shortlist is like some Fox News host and then some other Fox News host. And Bolton is only a contributor. And so like perhaps there's like a... That's why I'm on TV, because I'm, I'm just trying to get a job at the next White House. <laughs> God, we got to get you on Fox and Friends. <laughs> Mitra. Hello. What's on your bucket list now that uh, 
John you know, Bolton's in this job. All my family's in Iran, so. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Two of Y'all us. Y'all must not know John Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> Call your family. <laughs> I, yeah, so I'm, you know, I, I did knock off going to Iran off my bucket list a couple years ago, and I'm pretty relieved that I did that. Uh, just pretty to check scary. it out. So just to check it out before uh, John Bolton sets it all on fire. Uh, he hates us. Um, <laughs> he really does hate us, uh, my people. Um, but other than that, he seems like a really cool guy. Um, <laughs> I'm sort of excited to see what he brings to the table. I'm like... Total optimist about this administration. I mean, like, just, I, you know, as soon as they do something bad, I'm out. But. <laughs> CC, every conservative white yeah. woman in America. <laughs> yeah, I'm really scared. Oh, and also on my bucket list, um, <laughs> I really want to go to, like, um, Britney Spears in Vegas. <laughs> I think we can all learn something from. Mitra's open heart. Uh, okay. Well, uh, you know. You asked. The, again, the John Bolton news is quite simple. It's very bad. I'm sorry. The picture, I hope you think it's bleak because it is. It is bleak as fuck because this is what happens when you allow crazy, unqualified people to get into the White House. This is what happens when we attempt to normalize Donald Trump and the circus, no offense, but the circus that he has brought. Is it no, no offense to circuses? To, to the circus. <laughs> yes. No offense yes. to three ring circuses. Yes, well, no offense. But this is exactly what happens. So it's bleak. It is bleak as hell. And I just, you know, Lord Jesus, I just hope that he tries to literally. The best thing that can happen to us is he tries to fire Mueller so that someone moves to, to include, to start articles of impeachment so that they get him out of here and all his people because this is bleak. You just better pray that John Bolton don't try to reinstate the draft. Tell Donald Trump that's what he should do and go to war with Iran. Now y'all talking about y'all clapping for Iran. Y'all must not do John Bolton. I think just it was saying. the two Iranian people here <laughs> clapping because <laughs> there was representation <laughs> on stage. It's bleak. It's but dark. I believe in democracy. <laughs> and the resistance. Let's get into it. What a week. <laughs> what else is there to say? So it says here on my card, do not talk about Putin and Mueller in all caps. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> On Sunday, uh, Trump tweeted complaining about Mueller directly saying that, quote, he is the victim of a witch hunt uh, and implied that the investigation should be shut down. Trump's patience with the investigation is wearing thin because on Thursday it was announced Trump's lawyer in the Russian investigation, John Dowd, would be stepping down because Trump was no longer listening to his advice. <laughs> and as uh, Dan and John discussed this on the Pod Save America uh, this week, which is... Do you know how bad a client you have to be as president of the United States to be fired by your lawyer? Like, being the president's lawyer is a cool job for a lawyer, right? Like, usually they're just representing multinational corporations in decade-long trademark disputes. So you got to be a shitty client as president to get fired. Uh, according to Vanity Fair, Trump is ecstatic about the idea of finally doing it, quote, his way. Uh... I don't know if you were aware of this, but until this point, Trump has been really hamstringed, really, really feeling constrained uh, and unable to be himself. Uh, that's not all. <laughs> Vacation photo enthusiast and dictator Vladimir Putin won a sham re-election. Uh, then Trump called Putin and congratulated him on winning that election. He later called the Harlem Globetrotters to congratulate them on their victory over... The generals. Uh, <laughs> just a few hours later, however, word leaked out via the Washington Post that Trump's advisors had given him notes for the call that included in all caps the phrase, quote, do not congratulate. The response to me was pretty fascinating. John McCain said, quote, an American president does not lead the free world by congratulating dictators on winning sham elections. Or does he? Senator, seems as though that's incorrect. Uh, However, uh, Republicans like Marco Rubio and, and many others said that congratulating Putin might be bad, but leaking is even worse. He tweeted, quote, 
I don't agree with congratulating hashtag Putin. <laughs> but the bigger outrage is this leak that could only come from someone it at POTUS's inner circle. If you don't like president, resign. But this ongoing pattern of duplicity holds potential for serious damage to the nation. Wesley, I want to start with you on this. Uh, what do you make of this Rubio argument around the danger of these kinds of leaks? It is true that these are... These are extraordinary leaks, right? To see the, the leaking of briefing materials usually very tightly held, especially in dealing with a foreign leader. Correct. Well, it was almost like it's like that leak very early on in the administration where China or, or I'm sorry, where Trump accidentally changed our Taiwan policy because he didn't know the name of the country. Right. Like, and so like, oops, decades of foreign policy, like, forget that. Like, we're fine. Right. And so it is remarkable. I mean, I. Obviously, whoever is leaking to my colleagues at the fake news, Amazon, Washington Post, should keep doing that. Um, like, leak early and often. If you want my cell number, I got you. Like, what you like? We we can, but but it is email on the byline. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but no, these. I mean, these these leaks are these leaks are insane. But it's not the fact that they're leaking is not the insane part. The things in the leaks are the insane part. Yeah, you know, it's um. I feel like there's there's this argument. You know, these are extraordinary leaks. Uh, it, it also, similarly, we saw leaks of the president's calls with the president of Mexico or and the uh, uh, prime minister of Australia. Don't correct me again, <laughs> Australian listeners. These are deeply unusual leaks, but in many, it, it, it feels to me almost like an autoimmune response. That the the more dysfunctional and malignant the president the presidency, the more uh, extreme the leaks we receive from inside the government. And, and again. Dan and John had a great conversation about this on PSA, which is that what we are seeing is not the usual Trump administration leaks, which is which are kind of scoundrels and the sort of detritus of the Republican establishment that got jobs in this administration, knifing each other to reporters uh, to protect themselves, right? You know, but that's our usual, that's our typical, that's what we've been dealing with. This is something else, which is perhaps the career civil servants and the people that work for the National Security Council who stay from administration to administration saying, guys, this isn't an accident. We tried to tell him. And actually, normally, we wouldn't have to put it in all caps at the top of the briefing memo because usually the president isn't a clinical narcissist with a slowly declining brain rotted from the inside by years of not reading and watching television. Usually we could just have it in the memo and trust that the president would see it, but we were so sure that this dumb fuck wouldn't see it, we printed it in all caps, and he still didn't see it. Just to reiterate, please keep leaking uh, to Wesley Lowry. I mean, look, as a communications professional, someone that has worked on uh, many campaigns, and as a communications shop, you hate the leaks, right? Because you're like, oh my God, why do y'all feel like you need to go talk to the freaking reporters? Speak to me. Like, I've, I've given many a plenty of speeches about the next person that feels like they can go rogue and speak to a reporter. We're going to have some issues. But I just want to pause and say that felt very real. I felt your leadership. <laughs> and, I, and, and it was a kind of leadership that said, I don't need to like you, but I will respect you. This was after we've had the nice conversation. <laughs> but I feel as though people are leaking from this administration, one, because they feel like they're trying to save the republic. Um, and we appreciate you. Um, but also because they feel as though that their words are not being heard on the inside of the administration. Folks have probably had conversations with uh, John Kelly and other folks, with H.R. McMaster, and with the president, and they feel as though they are not being heard. And so when people feel as though the walls have closed in and their teams are not listening to them, um, they go to the press. So I see what is happening, and if there was a real communications director in the White House communications shop or actual press secretary that knew about the press, perhaps they could help fix this. But no one there exists. Yeah, I mean, also there's just, it may not be fixable insofar as the professionals trying to provide reasonable advice, like, hey, you should not congratulate someone who just attacked our own election, who is actively committing brazen assassination attempts on our allies' soil, etc. Uh, you should just be a little colder, you know? Slightly. That's yeah. not in his nature. He's like such a warm guy. I'm like. <laughs> I mean, you heard McDougal tonight. She was like, he's great. I don't understand these reports. He's a great guy. <laughs> we will get to Karen McDougal, Simone. I know. You want to talk about <laughs> it? Just please just hold your fire for one. For, let's get to the end of the uh, national security portion of What a Week. I promise we will touch upon Anderson Cooper's conversation with Karen McDougal. Uh, 
And can I just say, sort of as someone who loves gossip and drama, um, any secrets that anyone might have that has nothing to do with the future of our nation, but it's just like sort of like someone did something gross or someone's actually really mean, you can send those to me. Right, that's <laughs> really good to keep in mind. Really good to keep in mind. So again, just for those listening, anything that relates to the fate of the Republic, we're going to start with Wesley. Uh <laughs> However, if it's something like that Gina said to Todd, Mitra is your... Is Anything your... petty. <laughs> so, Simone, one thing that was in this Washington Post story, which was funny, is they know that the president was handed note cards, and then the, the leakers, the administration officials familiar with the note cards, made it clear to the reporters of the Post that they do not know whether Donald Trump saw the note cards. <laughs> Question to you. Which is more troubling to you? That Trump saw that people wanted him to not congratulate Putin and to condemn him for the attack in the UK and disregarded it? Or he didn't bother to read anything and just went in with his usual kind of deference to Putin? Oh what? my God. <laughs> I think it's more troubling to me that he saw it and then did not respond. And it makes me feel like he saw it because they said he was furious um, with the leaks and with the reports, and he wants to know who did it. So he was familiar <laughs> with the do not congratulate language. The first time he saw it wasn't in the Washington Post, y'all. That's context clues. we got to put them together. <laughs> so I believe it was the former that he saw the cards and was like, you know, YOLO. <laughs> Putin's my guy. We need good relations. We need to foster better relationships with Russia. And um, that That's was a more bad syllables move. than he could ever string together. <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps. Mitra, if, and this is hypothetical, if the dictator of a country had in his possession evidence of your financial crimes or perhaps some kind of video cassette containing evidence of micturation, a P tape, if you will, uh, and then that dictator hypothetically conducted a sham election that he won which you knew was rigged, uh, and you suddenly found yourself on the phone with him, what would you say? So yeah, sort of in this hypothetical situation, I'm, I'm assuming I'm sort of like a disgusting, uh, like 700-pound, oily, red-faced man, um, kind of crammed into like a sort of a baggy suit that is still somehow tight in the strangest places. <laughs> I'm just assuming based on context clues. Um, I'm assuming there's kind of like a lot of stuff going on in my terrible fucked up life and not a lot going on in my terrible fucked up brain. And I assume I'm sort of at like a five-year-old reading level generously. Um, sort of emotionally ill-equipped to hang with anything, handle anything. So I'd probably be like, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Simone, uh, one last thing I wanted to bring up. Now, before the show, we were texting about a CNN interview between Anderson Cooper and Karen McDougal, who uh, alleges to have had a 10-month affair uh, with current White House occupant, occupant uh, Donald John Trump. Um, pretty pr prurient. It's a tough word to say, prur prurient. Purient. It was gross. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? I've I've never seen anything like it on cable television ever before. Um, uh, it was it was a it's a special kind of thing that we just saw. It was perhaps the messiest thing I've seen on cable television ever in my life. It was messy because it was Karen McDougal talking about her relationship with the current president, and Anderson was like, "Did you always use protection?" <laughs> but go watch it on CNN.com. Y'all saw it? It was crazy. So, so kudos, you texted me, and I immediately also, turned on my television. To, kudos to Anderson Cooper for asking the questions y'all know y'all all wanted to know. <laughs> he got down. He got down to what we really needed to know. Got everything out of her. That's some Andy Cohen shit. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it, was so, it was so good. It was like a train wreck, watching her just go on and on, and I was like... Wait, and I was texting you. I was texting my good girlfriend on the commercials. She was calling me like, girl, did you see it? I was like, this is a mess. It's back on. <laughs> so 
you t- like, I immediately I turned it on. I immediately turned it on. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's so intimate. Wait, also, what was the answer? To the protection no, question. They didn't use prote- she said no. So all I could think about while the interview was going on, I was like, damn, where is Melania and who is in her group chat right now? And I want to just be clear with all of you people. Let's just be honest about what you all want. Because this is the part that I say the most important piece of the story is the fact that there was a concerted effort involving multiple legal teams and the National Enquirer to silence multiple women on behalf of Donald Trump. And the campaign finance implications of that, the legal implications of that, are far more important than these details. And all of you will nod your heads and you would never click on that story. (laughs) But if we run with the headline of Anderson Cooper straight to camera saying... This is how it went, y'all. Let me just. <laughs> I was texting some other unnamed people, news people during this, and they were like, this is amazing. I've got popcorn. <laughs> he was like, you, now, you don't have to answer this one if you don't want to. I understand if it's sensitive. <laughs> I got off my couch. I was like, what are you going to ask her? And this is- <laughs> For those at home, there is only a tiny part of Simone still on her chair. <laughs> and he was like, did you always use protection? Long pause. She. <sighs> no. I was like. Ah! <laughs> so while there are children living in rubble in Syria and the Republic might be on the brink of extinction, I will confess that I wanted to know what Karen McDougal had to say. <laughs> Sue me. Great place to leave it. When we come back. Okay, stop. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. This podcast is brought to you by Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Americans United defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms and even democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. While Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs, Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU's work at au.org slash crooked. That's au.org slash crooked. And we're back. Now for a segment we call OK Stop. Here's how it works. Uh, we'll, roll a cl- we'll roll a clip and... When we feel like it, well, we'll stop it to comment by saying, okay, stop. Over the weekend, news broke uh, that a company called Cambridge Analytica, which is not not the evil conglomerate in a Deus Ex game, uh, but an actual business in the world, stole the data of 50 million users of a site called Facebook.com. Facebook has come under fire for allowing this to happen and in general for their practices uh, for how they protect our security and our privacy on the site. On Wednesday, CNN sat down with Mark Zuckerberg, who uh, definitely overprepares to go on television. Uh, let's roll the clip. I want to start with just a basic question, Mark. What happened? What went wrong? So this was a major breach of trust, and and I'm really sorry that this happened. Okay, okay stop. stop. <laughs> so before we get to anything, I just there's something really uh, there's something actually I think subtly important in the phrase breach of trust because it tells you just how much Facebook overworks and how much Mark Zuckerberg overworks what he says that so much of what Facebook does is so mediated by their desire to protect their image protect themselves rather than taking responsibility for their product the phrase breach of trust is a choice a choice born of a very clearly a conference call I can tell I can tell that it happened on a conference call because the debate going into this interview was whether or not what happened was technically a breach. And Facebook at first said, no, it's not a breach. It was simply data that someone took and then later misused. And then people rightly pointed out, well, if you let the bank robbers into the vaults, they still stole the fucking money. Uh, Anyway, so they're like, well, is it a breach? Is not a breach? It's a breach of trust, right? It's too clever by half, which is the way Facebook responds to every time they are in one of these situations. I'd also like to note that 
Um, prior to the whistleblower, which I also want to caution that we are so celebrating the whistleblower because he still facilitated this hostile takeover of our data and weaponized what happened to enable the Trump campaign and others. Um, but Facebook knew that this happened prior to the whistleblower coming out and saying something about Cambridge Analytica. So if you remember, Facebook went before um, Congress. They, they went before Congress, and uh, members of Congress had the chance to ask Facebook questions and demand answers. And in no time or, or point in time did this breach of trust, quote-unquote, by Cambridge Analytica come up. So it's also like, oh, I'm sorry. It's also that um, Facebook should have in that moment when they were before Congress took the proper steps to take responsibility for the totality of what, of what happened. So they've now let it trickle and leak out, and Lord knows what else is coming. So I think a better, just talk about it from a communications PR standpoint, just get it all out there up front. People were already mad about what they thought you let Russia do and how you aided and abetted and didn't understand your own algorithms. So get it all out, get it all out there up front because who else knows? Are there more whistleblowers about more things that we don't know about that come down the pipe? Well, sure. But on the other hand, <laughs> Mark clearly read his note cards. Yeah. It said, like say, um, you're sorry, breach of trust in all caps. It's just out of the screen. <laughs> and, he, and he read them. Facts. I am sick of finding out what Facebook did wrong because that I see it on Facebook's phone while Facebook is in the shower. <laughs> that is what keeps happening. We That's a breach of trust. Facebook is. deserves better than that. No, I deserve... What? <laughs> Keep rolling the clip. You know, we have a basic responsibility to protect people's data. And if we can't do that, then, then we don't deserve to have the opportunity to serve people. If you told me in 2004, when I was getting started with Facebook, that a big part of my responsibility today would be to help protect the integrity of elections against interference by other governments, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have really believed that that was going to be something that, that I would have to work on 14 years later. I'm going to challenge we're, you. We're here now. I'm going to challenge you. Have and you we're going to make sure that we do a good job at Have it. you done a good enough job yet? Um, well, I, I think we will. Okay, stop. No. Stop. Lori asked a great question. He should have just gave a direct answer. Have you done a good enough job? The public opinion is no. Yeah. So you just might want to side with the public on this and say, have you done a good, good enough job? No. But we're working on it. And again, I'm sorry. This is a total breach of trust. We know we haven't done a no good job. No cards. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but we pledge to do better, but it's a work in progress. These are the things... <laughs> Zuckerberg should have said during this interview, and he didn't. Yeah, you know, I, I, I actually think that there is a lot of truth. I, I, I take him at his word. He did not know when he started Facebook that it would be involved in the integrity of elections, and I'm actually sympathetic to that, right? You, you know, you built this tool for connecting people, and all of a sudden it's being abused by foreign governments to influence uh, voters in the uh -huh. Midwest. The people that made the Tide Pods didn't know kids was going to start eating them. <laughs> How could you know kids were going to start eating the Tide Pods, right? How could you know that maybe a extreme, Wait a it might be I, an extreme example? I feel as though, but I'm just like thinking that through and like, I'm definitely very sympathetic to the Tide people. So, yeah. No, I actually think from, right. All I'm saying is it's not enough to say, oh, I didn't know that they were going to use this. Like, there are tons of things that are created that happen that end up being used for something else other than their original intention. So, like, that matters nothing to me. Like, I, I think these were poor talking points to answer that particular question. And I love the people at Facebook. I don't. What you know now, do you believe Facebook impacted the results of the 2016 election? Oh, that's, that is hard. Um, you know, I think that it is, it's really hard for me to, to have a full assessment of that. I can hear the commitment, but since I got you here, um, do you think that... Okay, that stop, stop. <laughs> Shout out to Lori for this interview and the commentary we all have. Lori's like, okay, boo. <laughs> I is, can hear and see the commitment, but... Um, that is me talking to any guy I've ever hooked up with. <laughs> Yeah, I can really hear the commitment. Awesome. So, what are we? <laughs> are you using Facebook at this moment to meddle with the, with the U.S. midterm elections? Um, I'm sure someone's trying, right? And I'm sure that there's, um, you know, V2 of, of all, of version 2 of whatever um, the, the Russian effort was in 2016. I'm sure they're working on that, and there are going to be some new tactics 
that we need to make sure that we observe and, and get in front of. Are you specifically seeing bad actors try to meddle with the, the U.S. election now? Um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what that means. How being a father changed, um, changed your commitment to users, changed your commitment to their future and, and what a kinder Facebook looks like? Well, I think having kids changes a lot. And I mean, that's what, what is kind of my guiding philosophy at this point is, you know, and I you know, kind Stop. of work on a lot of hard things during the day. I just sort of saw the life leave his body and I <laughs> just sort of wanted to capture that moment. Uh, just, address, just address it. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> it was chilling. <laughs> this was terrible. Just ask, will my girls be proud of what I did today? So, no, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to fight you. Uh, because I agree that I don't think he's a very good sp You're a bunch of children. Ill-timed ding, you lose your heads. They didn't uh, prepare for this interview. They did prepare. No, so they I... They didn't. They spent weeks hide. They spent time hiding him. So what, maybe y'all don't know, but Jeff Zucker has his own communications team outside of the Facebook communications team. Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuck, pardon me, Mark Zuckerberg. But Mark Zuckerberg, yes, and Facebook has his own communications team outside of the Facebook communications team. So there was an internal squabble happening because Facebook employees and the Facebook communications team, while we were all like, where is Mark Zuckerberg? So was the Facebook comms team. And his communications team was insulating him. They were protecting him, if you will, trying to keep him from this media scrutiny. So I do not think he was adequately prepared for this interview. I don't agree with that. I don't think what happened here is a communications battle. I agree that I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is a terribly good spokesperson for Facebook. I think that he struggles in that format. And that a lot of people would. A lot of people who would be great CEOs and good at running a company and make a great product would not be good in that setting. It's a tough setting to succeed in, especially when your company's under threat. I don't think they have a communications problem, and I don't think they can solve it. And, and I don't even think this is just a Facebook problem. There is a larger conversation we are going to have to have about privacy on the Internet as consumers, we have accepted way too much intrusion and we have given up way too much power over our data and our information. The fundamental problem that Facebook has is not that there was this breach in 2014 or 13, which they have said is closed. The problem is every time we hear how Facebook uses our data according to the proper rules of Facebook, we find it horrifying. We give up so much of our information. We have no control of it. We've accepted so little regulation. We've accepted so little protection. And I think it's in part because we feel like it's hopeless. We feel like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to stop these companies from following us around the internet? What are we going to do to stop Verizon from selling our personal information? What are we going to do to stop Apple or Facebook or Google or all these companies that, that make money off our personal data, though they claim they anonymize it. And it's the government is going to have to step in and start regulating these companies. And one of the consequences of Facebook's failure to communicate this is they are only accelerating the uh, schedule to the day when we get in there and start protecting consumers by law. Well, I thought there was one answer from him that was the most telling and it told me two different things. It was when he said in response, I don't know, I'm sure someone's working on that. Um, now, on one hand, I thought, that's the most brilliant excuse I've ever heard in my entire life. Tomorrow, when my editor goes, so is that article done? I'm going to go, I'm sure someone's working on that. <laughs> but on the other hand, I think it really underscores the problem. Again, not just with Facebook. Facebook is the behemoth, or one of the behemoths of these tech companies, but it's one of several, right? This could be an Apple conversation next week, or a Google conversation, or it's not even start a Twitter conversation, right? But it's this idea that these companies are completely reactive and not proactive, right? A good spokesperson in this capacity and a good leader of a company like this is going to look you in the eye and say, yes, we're figuring out if they're trying to hack 2018 if they're using our platform. And I, let me promise you, they're not going to do that. Instead, the answer we got was, I'm sure someone's going to figure that out. That so many of the difficulties we deal with on our online platforms, whether it be uh, gender and sexuality and racial harassment on some of these platforms, whether it be Russian trolling and propaganda on others, are things that these companies know exist. And only when it boils over in public opinion do they begin doing anything to proactively address those things. And by then, it's a little too late. Yeah, it's, I think that's right. And, and it, you know, 
you see it on YouTube when you know people search for information related to a mass shooting, and then the first ten results are conspiracy theorists and false flag operations that say these were all actors. And it's there's a tension here, which is that they they look at these platforms and they say, well, we provided something that is really run by people, right? That we handed something over, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or or Twitter, and we said we created something where we believed information should be free. We trust our consumers, our users. Uh, to create a safe environment, but that just has proven fundamentally untrue that there are enough bad actors to wreck every online platform and make it a cesspool of misogyny and racism and misinformation enough to to swamp and ruin any hope of dialogue or discourse or community that they set out to create in the begin to begin with. In a lot of ways, we have um, put a comment section in charge of. The government, um, (laughs) and that's okay. Stop. When we come back, too stupid to be true. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. And we're back. Now for a segment we call Too Stupid to be True. Uh, We are here in Washington, D.C. because of the kids who are organizing the March for Our Lives this Saturday. Young people across the country have stood up and said, we don't want to be shot at anymore. And also, we uh, love SpongeBob memes. I don't get it. You know, this is a march that was created by young people. This is a response that has been driven by young people who have broken the cycle in how we talk about gun violence. This bothers some conservatives, however, who would rather... uh, It's easier to dismiss these kids or argue that this is some nefarious plot by the usual villains because it's a lot easier to uh, scapegoat George Soros than it is children standing up after they were shot at in their school. Uh... So, uh, in that spirit, let's play Too Stupid to be True. Um, would somebody out there like to play the game? Hi, what's your name? My name is Swara Sala. Swara. Yes. Cool. Are you ready to play? As ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> Good. Okay. So, three of these statements we're about to read are true, or truly said out loud. Uh, one of them we made up. It'll be your job to suss out which one is too stupid. To be true, uh, Simone is going to kick us off with option A. Option A. I got to figure out how I can be away this weekend because half a million protesters are expected to descend on Washington to push for more gun control and quote-unquote school safety. And we're told that each march is basically student-led. But did students really organize all of this in the five weeks since the Florida shooting? Well, we should all be excited because George Clooney and his wife and his two children are coming because he wrote a check. He just sold that big tequila company. I think he made personally $500 million off that. Not a bad payday. Or is it B? Now, whether you like the kids or like what they're saying, and you may, but you should, oppo- you should be opposed to this. Why? Because they're not old enough to have the perspective that adults do. That's why we don't let them vote or drink, or if these protesters have their way, buy guns. This is really simple. This is why teachers aren't allowed to have sex with students, because they're in power and the kids aren't. Or is it C? There's something you should know about these kids. Their brains haven't fully developed. That doesn't happen until 22, 23 years old. They can't drink legally. They can't smoke legally. They can't even vote. Why are we going to let these children, whose brains aren't done cooking yet, to decide what to do with our AR-15s. It's lunacy. My daughter wants a puppy, but doesn't mean we'll get one for Christmas. Or is it D? 
Why would we take a bunch of high school juniors and say that these are experts on gun policy now? They're not experts on gun policy simply because their school was targeted. These are people who have experienced significant pain, and obviously we all stand with them and mourn with them in that pain. They have it to a far greater degree than anybody who is far away, but that doesn't mean that what they are saying on politics has any more legitimacy or has any more expertise to back it. The idea that children are experts on policy because they have greater innocence, no, that means they don't know enough. There's a reason you don't let 17-year-olds define tax policy. Okay, uh... One of those, one of those is fake. One, yeah, one of those is different than the other. Uh, I am gonna go with A. So you think Simone? George Clooney and his check. I just like, I think that might be like too stupid, like to for someone to actually say. But your answer was again, A. That's it. Okay, Let's roll the fair, clip. Fair, fair. I'm gonna figure out how I can be away this weekend because a half million protesters are expected to descend on Washington to push for more gun control and school safety. And we're told that each march is basically student-led. But did students really organize all of this in the five weeks since the Florida shooting? We should be all excited because George Clooney and his wife and his two children are coming because he wrote a check. He just sold that big tequila company for like, I mean, I think he made personally 500 million off that, not a bad payday. Now, whether you like the kids or like what they're saying, and you may, but you should be opposed to this. Why? Because they're children. They're not old enough to have the perspective that adults do. That's why we don't let them vote or drink or if today's protesters have their way, buy guns. This is really simple. This is why teachers aren't allowed to have sex with students, because they're in power and the kids aren't. Why would we take a bunch of high school juniors and say that these are experts on gun policy now? They're not experts on gun policy simply because their school is targeted. These are people who have experienced significant pain, and obviously we all stand with them and, and, and mourn with them in that pain. They have it to a far greater degree, I'm sure, than anybody who's, who's far away. But that does not mean that what they are saying on politics has any more legitimacy or that it has any more expertise to back it. The, the idea that, that children are, are experts on policy because they have greater innocence, no, that means that they don't know enough. There's a reason that you don't let 17-year-olds define tax policy. It was C. Suara uh, uh, was C. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Someone garbage, shouts yeah. garbage. I am, I am, I am. I believe if I had to interrupt you, C was going to be your second choice. Is that right? Be I, honest. I Don't I, yeah, just tell I him to so. say yes. How the hell would you know? <laughs> <laughs> Give it up for Suar. He's lost Thank the you. game, but he'll get a parachute gift card anyway. Wow, so chilling to hear an adult use like any word like innocence or purity at any point. I hate that. That's interesting. I don't hate it only because I do think one of the problems we have is we've like given up all the moral words. Like we don't say vir like we have like Democrats don't talk about virtue or, you know, innocence coming from an older dude talking about young kids to me is always going to be disgusting. OK. Agreed. Cool. Uh, <laughs> what, what if I what, <laughs> why am I going to fight you <laughs> on that? <laughs> when we come back. A lightning round. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. And we're back! There's some breaking news. Uh, it's coming right now. It says that there's a witch hunt going on. Uh, and not just any witch hunt. A witch hunt in all caps with exclamation points. Seems very serious. Uh, turns out this witch hunt against uh, Donald Trump is one of the worst in American history. It's so bad, uh, we don't think you'll be able to tell the difference between Robert Mueller's witch hunt and the Salem witch trials. Hi, what's your name? Allah. Do you live in D.C.? Baltimore. You live in Baltimore. Don't cheer for Baltimore. All the D.C. people are like, mm. I saw y'all. All the D.C. people were like, uh-uh. True, we don't have Trump, all right? Whatever. We're better. Allah. Uh, uh, this I, corner is scowling the fuck out of Allah. Uh, I'm just gonna, just going to help you about how to win the crowd back. Okay. I don't know how. Uh, 
I've never lost a crowd before. The, uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'm going to say a fact. And if it comes from the Salem witch trials or other witch trials throughout history, say Salem. Okay? And if it's from the Mueller investigation, you'll have to say Mueller. Okay? And it's going to come fast and, and fast and furious. <laughs> Quickly and furiously. And so we're going to play a game called Which Witch Hunt is Which? All right, Ala, are you ready? Yes. Let's get that clicking sound that has actually no function. You can't run out of time, okay. but creates drama. Okay. Largely relied on the admission of special evidence, meaning dreams, visions, or general bad Salem. feelings. Correct. Largely relied on evidence and interviews collected by seasoned investigators and intelligence officials. M Mueller. Correct. Primarily targeted disenfranchised, marginalized women like slaves, the homeless, and the elderly. Salem. Primarily targeted wealthy white men who have bank accounts in lots of different countries. After refusing to comply with the investigation, a man named Giles Corey was crushed to death by stones over a period of three days. Salem. After refusing to comply with a subpoena, a man named Sam Nunberg went on a bunch of news shows Muller. before he eventually calmed down. You got it. One piece of evidence commonly used was called witch's teats, which was a mole or blemish somewhere on the body that was insensitive to touch. Salem. One piece of evidence commonly used was called the president's tweets, which was a, a public admission of obstruction of justice since millions of people without any self-awareness or preservation. Mueller. Correct. Angele de Barth was found guilty of sexual relations with the devil and burnt to death. President Trump. No. Salem, Salem, I'm sorry. My, wrong. Mike, too late. Michael Flynn Jr. pled guilty to lying to the FBI and is cooperating with the investigators. Mueller. 19 different people and two dogs were put to death. Salem. Sorry, that was United. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You won the game. Give it up for Allah from Baltimore. Happy Persian New Year. Woo! Happy Nowruz. Love that. It's Iranian Love New Year. Love the Iranian New Year breaking out throughout the crowd. Right here in the front. This is great. Give it up for all, everybody. And she'll get a parachute gift card. Take that back to Baltimore. When we come back, the rant wheel. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. And we're back! Now for a segment we call the rant wheel. Here's how it works. Uh, there's a wheel and we spin it and wherever it lands, we talk about the topic. This week on the wheel, we have Cynthia Nixon, who's running for governor. We have self-driving car accidents. We have Trump's new lawyer, Science Ivanka, Facebook, but I think we covered it, uh, the Austin bombings, DC voting rights, and I wonder where they come down on that one, and, uh, and audience suggestion. Someone shouted DC voting rights. Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on Cynthia Nixon. There are many valid reasons to be critical of Cynthia Nixon. Many. What are her qualifications? Well, a good topic to investigate. But the New York Times wrote a story <laughs> that said... Uh, how can she be for uh, combating inequality in New York when her character, Miranda, was on a show called Sex in the City, which highlighted luxury in Manhattan? Now, this was frustrating for a couple reasons. One, it was a character. The actors play characters. They and act. They act, and they pretend to be people, and then when we see them, we don't, we don't panic. Like, for instance, I don't hold Meryl Streep responsible for the policies in Britain in the 80s, uh, you know, for the strike breaking, etc. cetera, uh, because she was playing the Iron Lady. She wasn't, in fact, 
Margaret Thatcher. Um, there were many reasons to be against Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was the governor of California. But the fact that he came back from the future to murder John Connor's mother is not one of them. And you know what? Cynthia Nixon's announcement had a lot of pictures of trains. And I am very excited for a debate in New York. On the subway. On the subway and on public transit and on what the fuck has been going on with the MTA because it's It's a nightmare. It's so bad. And I know DC has been dealing with its own train problems. But shout out to Cynthia Nixon, Nixon though. Like, regardless of whatever valid criticisms people have of her, I think the beauty of this country is that anyone that meets very basic qualifications, <laughs> clearly, can run for office. And I think that's what makes it great. So that someone like Cynthia Nixon or John Lovett or Donald Trump can run. Don't you dare. It was. <laughs> Put me in that category. You were the highlight. I'm going to. I'm not an actor. Love it 2020. I'm going to run for all kinds of shit. But it is. So people keep saying, oh, we don't need these celebrity types running. We should not be in the business. Look, as someone that worked for somebody where people were in the business of saying who should be what, I think we should not be in the business um, as people that really, truly believe in free and fair elections of saying who can and cannot put their hat in the race. I agree with that. And I will tell you, you know, I saw... I saw that uh, Andrew Cuomo said, oh, it's silly season, um, clearly trying to... He's silly. Fix the damn trains. Well, what I would say is a sure way to turn it into a very real race is going to be dis- to dismiss Cynthia Nixon as a celebrity rather than arguing with her on the merits because there's a real debate to be had in New York. Absolutely. And Absolutely. it's going to happen whether he participates in it or not. Uh, and that's all I want to say about that. Uh, Let's spin it again. OMG, can I rant about this? Yes, it has landed on the Austin bomber, which is something Simone wanted to talk about. I want to rant about the Austin bomber because I find it very irritating that folks are hesitating to call him a terrorist. I want to remind everybody. Like, it, it bothers me because you know what? The KKK who terrorized black people for decades, for decades, terrorized communities in this country, they were the original domestic terrorists. And so you've got, a, you've got like a targeting of people of color in Austin, prominent families, by the way, which has not been reported, but these are prominent families in Austin, Texas. And folks are saying, well, you know, we don't know if there's a connection. I don't know. That one was a tripwire. He was a nice guy. He had trouble. He was a terrorist. And it bothers me that we are refusing to call him a terrorist at the, from the White House press podium. The White House press secretary is like, well, you know, they haven't figured out if it's terrorism or not. Because I guarantee you, if he was a, if he was a brown man, folk, the folks would not have hesitated to say, well, this is terrorist, terrorist related. This is a terrorism. This is a terrorist, terror, this is terrorism. Let's spin it again. It is, I heard new Queer Eye first. We're going to get to D.C. statehood, you animals. Queer Eye. So, (laughs) I haven't watched that many episodes, but so far, Antony has made (laughs) grilled cheese and guacamole. What did he make most recently? (laughs) Hot dogs! He made hot dogs? Antony is very nice looking, and I think it may have played a role in determining who was cooking on the new Queer Eye, because I think that somewhere there is a master chef who cannot be seen in the light because he's so ghoulish, and the food he makes is fantastic. I think there should be like a Picasso rule. And here's my Picasso rule, which is Picasso, everyone's like, Oh, anybody could do what Picasso did. It looked like a children's drawing. But Picasso painted beautiful portraits first, and then he slowly developed his style. And my test is, Anthony, you want to teach people how to make pee-pee and J? You want to take a spoonful of peanut butter and dip it in the goldfish? 
and call it a recipe, fine. But here's what I want to see first. I want to watch a one-hour program where you make a souffle, where you make a soft-boiled egg. You give me that, Anthony. And then you can, you can make a fucking cinnamon roll and white bread, whatever the fuck you're doing to these sad straight guys on Queer Eye. And I'll be fine with it. And I will say, I follow him on Instagram, and he Instagram stories the meals that he makes, and they look bad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's spin it again. Yes. Okay. It has landed on DC voting rights, a fitting place to end tonight. And here's why it's a terrible idea. You see the frit, I'm not gonna do that, are you crazy? Of course you people should have the right to vote. Of course, I mean, I don't know, most of you. So Ryan Cooper in the Huffington Post? I think it was in the week. It was in the week. It was in the week. Thank you, Wesley. So, so, so Ryan Cooper this week in a piece for the week. He wrote a piece in the week uh, about uh, some of the things that Democrats should be unabashedly for if we retake power and what we should be campaigning on. And one of them is about immediately moving to give D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood. And it is very hard to argue against it. Uh, and, um, you know, taxation without representation. I think it's a bad idea. By the way, it's, it's why I think, think D.C. should vote. It's why I think Puerto Rico deserves a vote. They've, clearly what we have learned uh, this year is that the protections Puerto Rico has are not enough, that they don't have enough power in D.C. And... Uh, you know, it's a decision that we've left up to Puerto Rico, and it's an incredibly divisive issue in Puerto Rico. Uh, it's been something that's been debated there for a long time, and it's usually a position of presidential candidates to defer to the wishes of Puerto Rico. But I think it's pretty clear that Puerto Rico is not being served by their current status. So I, I agree with that. But also it's why I think 16- and 17-year-olds deserve the right to vote, that there are just yeah. more participation, more participation. Now, uh, do you have sports teams in D.C.? Now that, I think, is probably a mistake. <laughs> Anything to add on D.C. statehood? They absolutely should have it, and you should hold every single uh, candidate accountable, and we should give folks on the record on D.C. statehood and statehood for Puerto Rico because the, the fact of the matter is, one, like, Puerto Ricans are Americans, newsflash. Like, there are some people that don't know this. Like, you can go to Puerto Rico without a passport. Um. <laughs> I would love to see someone sit across from Trump that's to say and ask him, do you know that, that Puerto Ricans are able to come to the United States and many of them are not? He's going to be like, this is why we need to build the wall. <laughs> yeah. This is why we need the wall. We need the wall, a very big wall. <laughs> but yeah, no, like, statehood should be a, a like, it, it should be a no-brainer. Um, but for some reason, it keeps getting lost in the conversation, much like protections for dreamers should be a no-brainer. <laughs> Every day, Congress refuses to act on protections for dreamers. When 122 people lose their protective status in this country, they cannot work in their lives hanging hang in limbo. So, yeah, D.C. deserves statehood. But, but also, you know, some D.C. people have said that they, don't, they want voting rights, but they don't necessarily want to be a state. They want to continue to be the District of Columbia. So I think on the semantics, we can talk about it, but, like, absolutely there should be a vote in Congress. Like, D.C. deserves some senators, like, more, uh, more Congress people, and... This is a, a no-brainer. D.C. has more people than Alaska, than Wyoming, than Vermont. Like, it, there are more than 700,000 residents in the District of Columbia. I attended the State of the District by Mayor Bowser um, last week, if you will, a couple weeks ago. And it was absolutely amazing to hear about the progress that D.C. is making, the history that is being made. She's taking on Marco Rubio, Mayor Bowser is, because he's trying to change D.C.'s gun laws. Like, it's just crazy. So D.C. deserves a vote. Give D.C. a vote. Give them the vote. And I'll close the show only by reminding everybody that on April 9th, John Bolton will be named <laughs> National Security Advisor. Make hay while the sun shines. Do the things you wanted to do. Have you played paintball? Give it a shot. 
You've been thinking about trying an escape room. Do it. Hey, that, you know, your, your ex from high school, she moved back into town. And you guys thought maybe we were too young, but now, you know, it's been a while, you've seen a lot of other people, and you keep coming back to this idea in your minds. Jennifer, Jennifer, what was that? Maybe we were young then, but we're older now, and I can't get her out of my mind. And every day you wait to reach out to her because you think, why would I do it today? Maybe she's moved on. Maybe she doesn't feel the way that I do. You know, maybe I'll seem silly. Maybe I want the fantasy. Maybe Jennifer, as I've built her in my mind, will never equal the Jennifer I'll sit across from. Um, that, that actually what I'm, what I'm imagining, what I'm fantasizing about is a perfect person in a perfect life that can't exist. And here's what I'll tell you. On April 9th, John Bolton will be named National Security Advisor. So you send Jennifer a message and you say, let's get coffee and see what she says, okay? And that's our show. <laughs> I want to thank Simone Sanders, Wesley Laurie, Mitra Juhari. Thank you, DC, for coming out. We'll see you at the march on Saturday. And have a great night. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.